Welcome to the Relaxed Running Podcast, the show that helps runners and athletes in running-based sports transform the way they run. Here's your host, Tyson Popplestone. Ladies and gents, welcome to the Relaxed Running Podcast. Tyson Popplestone here. Today on the show, we've got running physiotherapist Brody Sharp. So if you've been around for a little while, you would have heard Brody on the show, uh, I think he's been on two or three times before, and he's always just a, a great guest. He's full of knowledge. Uh, today, I wanted to get him on because he's just released his first book, which touches on a whole heap of subjects, which we've spoken on over the last couple of years of communicating with each other. But specifically today, we, we, we sort of dig down a little more into recovery and some of the factors of our lifestyle, which can really improve our ability to uh, recover effectively for upcoming sessions. So a great episode for whether you're brand new to the sport or been around for a little while. Before we get into the episode, I just want to remind you that in December this year, we're running a one-week or a five-day Falls Creek run experience. So we're going to have uh, myself and at least nine other athletes up there for five days, enjoying some running, enjoying some training with some professional coaches in the strength and conditioning world. Also, just having some nice uh, relaxed times, recordings, uh, Q&As with top runners. It's going to be a, a blast you want to learn a little bit more about that jump over to relax running and click on the camps and clinics also while you're there check out the september school holidays running camp that we're putting together this isn't just aimed at little distance runners this is aimed at kids from running based sports football soccer basketball field hockey going to do a whole heap of speed and agility work there as well so if you've got a little nugget who loves to run around loves to move and is pretty good at the sport that they're from and speed and agility plays a big role make sure you check that one out as well we're going to max that out at 30 we've already got five booked up and we haven't uh, we haven't made it public yet so 25 spots left if you want it don't forget uh pre-season training programs for afl and field hockey are coming out September the first as well. So if you're a uh, if you're an athlete in those two sports looking to improve your running, jump over to relaxrunning.com. We've got heaps of ways that we can work together. But for now, really want to encourage you guys to get out a notepad, get out a pen, and enjoy this one with a great man, running physiotherapist, and uh, all round good looking fella, Brody Sharp. Sweet mate, we're just saying you've been a busy man the last year. I think <laughs> I think I probably spoke to you. It would have been through email or text about a year ago, I imagine. Yeah. Maybe a little less. You were just saying, hey, uh, you're right for me to quote this in a book that I'm putting together. And I thought, yeah, no worries. And then I kind of forgot about it and kept a loose eye on what you're doing. And then the other <laughs> day, I see you've uh, you've launched it. You've got the physical copy. You've got the ebook. You've You've been flat out. It's hard for some people to forget about it. And like some of my podcast listeners like, oh, geez, that came quick. But I'm like, in my eyes, it was just a grind for 12 plus months of, you know, sometimes three to four hours a day just typing and yeah glad to eventually get it done it's good to have like a physical copy in your hands yeah so how, how did you actually manage your time because i know you're a man a, a man on a mission you've got a few projects going on at any one time so is yeah three to four hours each day you're doing that for a, for about a year yeah well i think at the like definitely at its highest point of me just having to write and you know type which is very time consuming for myself. Um, yeah, it was probably about three or four hours per day, but you know, everything else I've fairly streamlined, like the podcast itself, um, just like the blogs and everything else that I do with posting and that sort of stuff is fairly streamlined. Doesn't take up a lot of time at the moment, but yeah, I think if you, if you decide that this is what you're going to do, you end up making the time 
Mm. If I said to myself, I'll give myself 30 minutes per day to write, I'd, you know, find 30 minutes. But if I said, if I find three hours, I'd find three hours. And so just managed to, you know, put my head down and focus really hard on that goal and want to get it done as, I guess, as quickly as possible. Cause I am one to try and move quite quickly with the projects I have done, but this is just like, it was a whole nother beast. It was probably the hardest thing I've done to date. Yeah, no, good stuff, man. I can imagine there'd be a little bit of a crossover between our two audiences because they complement each other to a degree. Obviously, you've got much more of a focus on rehabilitation and sports performance. And I guess mine is, I look at that stuff, but but not specifically. Um, but for those of, uh, you know, for those of my audience who who still haven't heard one of your, I think this is the fourth, third or fourth time you've been on the show, which is a record. I'm pretty sure mm-hmm. I said that to you last time you are on as well. So, Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. For those, of, uh, for those people who, who uh, listen to this podcast and haven't heard too much about what it is that you do, but more specifically, what it is you've included in the book. Do you want to give us a bit of an overview without uh, without throwing away all your secrets? Sure. Yeah. Well, my well, I am a physiotherapist by trade and I have niched my business down to only working with runners because it's the population that draws the most I have the most passion about and sort of I get the most energetic by like sort of um what I say it doesn't deplete my energy it like reinvigorates my energy and like boosts my energy levels whenever I talk about running and treat runners and help runners get back to pain-free running and so that's kind of my mission my mission is trying to educate runners to train smarter to sort of build on their own running IQ so they can reduce their risk of injuries or overcome a current injury that they might have or increase their running performance safely. Those sorts of things are just whatever I put my energy towards, that's sort of the mission that it's aiming. And so the Run Smarter podcast is what I host and the book Run Smarter. The subtitle is Evidence-Based Guidance and Expert Opinions to Help You Survive and Thrive as a Runner. So it's a combination of seeing what the evidence shows in regards to how we should be training, how to overcome an injury, how to reduce your risk of injuries. talks about like running technique or training balances, intensity distributions, (coughs) sorry, intensity distributions, all that sort of stuff. And not only has the science, but also has expert opinions, which is why I call upon you for quote approvals because I love the guests that I've had onto the podcast. I really wanted to shape Um, their opinions into a lot of the literature as well and sort of combine the two. Because sometimes when it comes to solely relying on research and evidence, sometimes it is based on the quality of evidence and we might have good advice for people, but if you 100% rely on the evidence, you probably can't make certain claims that might be beneficial for them. So it's always nice to have the nice balance of this is what the literature shows. And sometimes when there isn't studies done that show a certain thing, this is what the experts are saying. And um, the book is mainly produced into two parts. So part one, the first half of the book is how to reduce your risk of injury. And then the second part is how to increase your running performance safely. So based on um, me talking to my audience, they're the two main things that runners care about. And so they're the two parts of the book. Yeah. Awesome, man. It's a really, you've actually sort of uh, just jumped into the next question I was going to ask you because you don't need a been in the running world for very long to realize that there's a million different opinions. And then when it comes even to the evidence, you don't need to speak to too many people to realize even the experts often have a difference in opinion on so many subjects. And it can be 
overwhelming for people who are brand new to the sport, which is why I love bringing someone on with a few qualifications next to their, next to their name, like yourself, because you can, you can iron it out and speak it through and sort of, you know, show people what it is that you've been researching, what the research actually says. And, and then I guess once it's in their lap, they can make the decision as to what they want to do with that. But, but when it comes to injury prevention and when it comes to running smarter, running faster, um, or, or just building that really nice solid foundation, which only comes with time and consistency. There's so many factors that go into that. Obviously, the the speed that you increase your training, the shoes, the surfaces, the like. There's I'm not even going to try and list them. So how did you how did you boil down what to include in your book and what to leave out? Because obviously you said you've got it structured in the two main parts, um, but within those parts, how to how does something get a place in there? Yeah, it's tough. Um, I had so many ideas for the book and I guess it's all just refined into what I would call the main sort of takeaways because you can, like you say, you can go down so many directions, but it does cover most of the main stuff. You'll learn about shoes. You'll learn about running technique. You'll learn about shaping your training plan in a way that you can best understand how to objectively measure things like your um your training loads how to objectively um perceive recovery that sort of stuff um but generally when it comes down to it when it comes to reducing risk of injuries you've got you want to make sure that you have the the right balance between training and recovery if you don't if you either overtrain or under recover you're going to come unstuck somewhere there's an injury coming for you and so it's all about just trying to illustrate that balance and sort of just trying to dissect every little element of that because changing your shoes might change, have an abrupt change in your training load. And so it always comes back to that load versus capacity sort of model. The capacity is like, how much can your body withstand? And the load being like subjecting your body to this load. It's a, it's all of it comes down to, and I repeat in the book so many times, that's the sort of universal model that you always revert back to. And there's so many different elements to consider, but um, anything that I, there wasn't too much that I'd say I excluded from the book or like, there's not enough time for that. Um, I just made it a little bit more succinct or maybe a bit less time in terms of including it. If there wasn't as much robust evidence or if there wasn't as much opinions or there's too many differing opinions and you, you sort of hard to find a position or it just complicates the message. So it was just a lot of work of trying to refine it and organize it in a way that's a bit more free flowing and sort of just reads really easy. So yeah, took a bit of time, but I was very, very happy with the the final product. Yeah, it looks bloody good. I saw your post the other day and uh, when you first messaged me, I thought, oh, cool, it's going to be a little ebook. And then when I saw the printout book, I thought, hang on a second, <laughs> this is going to be on the bookshelf in in no time at all. But uh, one of the things I'm curious to, to pick your mind about a little more, and, and one of the reasons I was excited to get you on here is what I love about a, a resource like what you've printed out there is just the ability to be able to flick through and have a bit of a look at what's relevant to us at a certain time. But the the question I think, or the question I would assume pretty confidently that I get more than any other has about um, it is about gradually updating or increasing the training load that a new athlete does. And, and as a bloke who's in the physio world, I can imagine that you see the results of a lot of new and not so new runners who seem to fit into this all too common obsession that we have with, 
with just doing more in a quicker amount of time. And I was just curious to know if there was any particular experiences that you've had in the physio world that sort of uh, guided what you've included in this book, or um, is it based solely around the the conversations that you've had on your podcast? A bit of both. Uh, yes, there, for some reason, runners are one to do too much too soon. I, I see it a lot in new runners. I see it a lot in experienced runners. It just depends on their ideas, their training philosophies, what they think running is, what they think marathon training is, or, um, you know, some people just get carried away. Their personality traits, they're impatient, or they're just, you know, just wanting to exercise every single day and they feel compelled to feel like they're having a, a decent workout of a high intensity. And, you know, we can dissect that in so many different ways there's personality types there's perception of training and that sort of stuff but absolutely it's just what like i said before it's the the load versus capacity it's training loads increases your load if that's too abrupt for your body to start to get used to it we, what we call adaptation you want to train within this adaptation sweet spot enough time so that you get stronger and you can train with bigger volumes later mm. um if that's something that you treat too abruptly if it, if you're too impatient then the likelihood of in, increasing the the likelihood of injury just skyrockets so people do need to be very careful and i guess when it came to writing principles around that um there is some evidence about training volumes increasing your training volumes and likelihood of injury but based on my experience like on my podcast and other channels, I have this free injury chat, which if people wanted to talk about any injury that they had, they jump on free for 20 minutes and we just have a chat. So like almost every single time it's, I was too impatient. I ran too far. I increased, uh, I implemented hills too quickly. Um, my speed work just ramped up over two, three weeks. And then I developed this injury. There's usually something to point to either a training load error which like I say, doing too much too soon or something that involves under recovery. So they could have trained exactly the same, but over the course of two weeks, they haven't been sleeping right or they've had increased stress or their nutrition wasn't right. Their hydration wasn't right. So they could theoretically get an overuse injury by training the exact same, but recovering less. And so, that, yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. Cause when I think of recovery, I often think about you know, getting off your feet and having an ice bath and doing a massage. But when it comes to things like sleep, I often think about more immune health. And I think about, because I noticed, man, I got back from the United States or I went to the United States about six weeks ago, four, six weeks. And I won't bore you with the details, but on the way over, it was just a nightmare of a transit. And there was, I reckon in three days, I don't think I'm exaggerating, exaggerating when I say this. I, I think in the three days of travel that we did, I slept for about nine hours across those three days. And I thought, okay, well, I knew I was tired. But then once we got there, I very rarely get sick. But once we got there, I just got whacked with like a cold. And I knew my immune my immune system was under a little bit of pressure just based on what it had been through the last few days. So from the perspective of a runner, I would go, okay, well, you know, there's a, a chance of my body just being impacted negatively because my immune system is just under the stress. But um, you were saying, actually, there's an increase in the chance of even physical injury or, or, or overuse injury through missing the recovery like sleep. 
Absolutely. You need to consider like when you do a, a running workout, you don't get stronger during that workout. You get stronger after that workout, once your body's entered recovery mode and you've offered the body enough time to um, recognize it, get stronger from it. Like if you do a bicep curl and you get that delayed onset muscle soreness the next day, that's the body attempting to recover and attempting to rebuild, get stronger because of it and can lift heavier in the future. But if you do really heavy bicep curls every single day, it's not going to recover. It's going to get worse. It's going to get more sore. And eventually um, this micro damage turns to macro damage, which turns to tissue failure, which is injury. But what runners need to consider is that sleep is the best recovery tool you have hands down. It is if you combine every other recovery tool that you have, that being diet, that being um, stretches, massage ball, like a massage session, um, float tanks, all of those sorts of things. If you stack the benefits of all of those on top of one another, it will not get anywhere near the benefits of a good night's sleep. So the, the night sleep is the ability for the body to recognize the training that has been done, adapt, get stronger, and be able to back up afterwards. And so if your sleep is disrupted, you train, let's say you go for a 60 minute run and then you don't give your body that time to recover and your sleep has been disrupted. If you run again the next day, that is compiling and sort of impacting stacking on that load because it hasn't sufficiently absorbed, adapted and learned from that previous day. So you're just compiling on load, 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 load until you get an overload injury. Mm. It's pretty much as simple as that. And people think that, if they go for a run and then after that run, they go to work where they're constantly stressed or they, you know, come home and they've got some family dramas and then they get to sleep and they're disrupted and they're weighing, they're lying in bed awake at night because they're stressed about something that's happened at work or, you know, a job promotion that leaves increased stress and responsibilities and all that sort of stuff. And then they wake up, they feel pretty rubbish and then go for a run again you know, if that continues for a week, likelihood of injury is pretty high just mm. because you haven't given yourself that time to recover and that adaptation response isn't there. Therefore, that load continues to accumulate under recovery plus overload equals injury. Yeah. Yeah. I've listened to a few podcasts about the importance of sleep and I feel like it's a, it's a little bit of a hot topic at the moment. And what's even more interesting about that specific topic is uh, one of the podcasts I was listening to, uh, it could have been, I think his name's Matthew Walker. I'm not sure mm -hmm. if you've heard of him. He's written a book called Sleep. Um, he was speaking about the average sleep of uh, an American back in the late 1940s was around eight and a half hours each night. And he was saying, if you fast forward to 2016, 2017, and I'm convinced not much has changed since then. I'm sure mm -hmm. only only sort of wound up. Uh, the average American is sleeping seven hours or below each night. And it's funny that uh, you sort of mentioned the idea of the work stresses, which can come in and impact that kind of uh, element of your life. But even more essentially for an athlete is to get on top and try and figure out how to, you know, I, I guess, switch off in an effective way in order to tap into that, knowing the benefits that it offers your actual recovery. Like, is it easy to pinpoint when, well, I guess it's not easy. It's very individualized. I can imagine, but when someone comes into you and walks through, okay, well, here's my injury. This is what I've been doing. Do you find it easy to go, okay, well, it's pretty clear that it's your shoes or it's pretty clear that it's your sleep or it's pretty clear that 
you know, it's some other factor because it's always a frustrating, I've experienced this personally, a frustrating experience going into a doctor. You go, all right, I got a stress fracture in my back. This is when I was about 15 or 16. I'm not 100% sure why. And I felt like it could have been the doctor that I was speaking to. I wasn't getting some direct assistance. But it sounds as though the the approach that you take to the conversation, it actually looks at factors within and around your life that could lead to that rather than just, all right, it's definitely just that you ran too far. Yeah. I guess I start with what we call like the big rocks. And then if we can't find anything, we work our way down through pebbles and like just more refined, I guess. So it would be, okay, what's your running mileage look like? And then we go through that at the time of injury. And then if there's nothing in terms of mileage, we say, okay, how about intensity? Um, Was there any increase in your speed? Was there any increase in like um, load outside of running? Maybe you did some gym workouts and that was a bit more high intensity or maybe start cycling or, you know, other things that might've contributed to that overload. And if there's nothing really there, I look at other things like shoes. I look at other things like terrain, um, hills, you know, all those sorts of things that still might be an abrupt change, which they didn't really think about. Still nothing there. I would then have a look at the under recovery side of things. Mm. What's your stress levels like? What's your sleep like? Um, and yeah, we just refine it. We go into all aspects as if we can't uncover anything there, then we just, you know, sometimes it is, it is what it is. There's an overuse injury. We can't pinpoint it. Maybe there was something going on that hadn't really been identified or the runner themselves, because usually when they get to me, usually they've had an injury for a couple of weeks and trying to think about what happened three to four weeks ago because the change might have happened two weeks prior to the injury. So then we're looking five to six weeks ago. Mm. And sometimes it's really hard to maybe think I wasn't sleeping well for three days in a row, or maybe I came down with a cold and I was fighting a bit of a an illness or a cough or something. And, you know, if we can just put it down to, all right, we can't find anything. So we can't really adjust or learn from that particular change in training, but let's just continue. We'll, teach you the basics. This is how we're going to return back and take it from there. But most of the time you can usually pick something. See, this is what I like about you. This is why I have you on the podcast so often is because people, well, when I say people, I mean me. When when <laughs> I think about a physiotherapist, I think it's someone that you go to speak to solely about your body and solely about what's going on, like in the structure of your body. But you don't have to look too far to realize that there's so many elements around your life that influence the way that your body performs. And it sounds like you've taken more of a, some people get funny with this word. It's a bit of a hippie word, but a holistic approach to um, navigating your way through physical health. So when, is that a common thing now in the world of physiotherapy? And is that something that you're um, like, you're aware of and pride yourself on? Because it's a, it just seems when you look at a puzzle, it seems as though the, the puzzle of someone's running potential is far bigger than just, okay, How's your body? And and you've seemed to be able to pinpoint that and you can have a conversation around it in a way that makes sense. And it's not just opinion. It's based on fact. It's based on science. It's based on evidence, um, which is, in my experience, fairly unique. But do you want to mm. walk us through that a little bit? Because it, it definitely does seem like something that I haven't encountered much in the 20 years that I've been a part of the sport. And I, I like it. Mm. I don't think it's that common. Um, unfortunately, we do box ourselves into, you know, you learn physio stuff at uni and then 
that's the stuff that you know and the stuff that you stick to when you graduate. Very rarely is there much crossover. Um, one of the main pieces of me, I guess, approaching this is starting the podcast and interviewing a whole bunch of different health professionals. Mm. Like I interview chiros, I interview, like, interview nutritionists, dietitians, um, podiatrists, anyone under the sun, any sort of health professional that I value and I value their opinions. I sort of, you know, get their insight and it's another sort of, like you say, piece to the puzzle. But then when you chat with runners and you see how maybe their training loads aren't that abrupt, but they get an injury, you're just, you're just curious. You, your curiosity peaks and you sort of want to investigate further. And so that's when I start to see, you know what, there might be a correlation. I've seen X amount of runners over the past couple of months who have all reported having poor amounts of sleep and then they develop an injury. Maybe there's something to that. And then you go into the the research and there's some good studies out there to show um, looking at like log books and tracking people's training volumes and seeing that, yeah, if there's a 14 day sleep lag, then their risk of injury is heightened. Mm-hmm. And so you, you look at that and it's like, okay, that's very significant. Something I need to know the next time I talk to a runner or the next time I need to um, help a runner reduce their risk of injury. And so in those circumstances, you'd be saying, okay, if there is a certain time of your life when your sleep is suffering, so um, newborn baby, stress from moving house or you know these sort of things that you really can't help but sacrifice some sleep. Don't overload yourself with training, mm-hmm. you know, pull back a little bit and be preventative with, and make the sensible decisions run smarter, as I would say, mm-hmm. and make sure that, you know, just recognize the fact that this stage of your life, the next two, three weeks, isn't the time to push the envelope. It is the time just to maybe peel back and um, fight another day when you do feel a bit more fresh and a bit more recovered. Um but going back to the holistic side of things, one thing I'm really investigating over the last couple of months, maybe the last six to 12 months, is recognizing how complex pain is because I've seen people with three years of plantar fasciitis or you know, um, multiple years. And I'm looking and diving into, I've interviewed a bunch of um, pain specialists on the podcast and seeing how complex pain can be and how the mind, um, like moods, uh, diets, all these sorts of things can affect, manipulate uh, your perception of pain and then in fact impact your recovery. As I've seen some really big transformations with someone just moving away from a traditional physio approach and saying these are your rehab exercises, get stronger, return, slow build up, and actually starting to, if you see someone who presents with a little bit more of a psychological driven pain that's like um, maybe a little bit more complex than what we might've thought originally and treating that with other things like mindfulness, meditation, um, you know, just appreciation for pain as a complex nature and they get significantly better really quickly. Then it's something that's, you know, I need to learn more about to help future patients who might fit within that, particular piece of the puzzle. And so, yeah, I do like to broaden my horizons, but it's only just because I have talked to so many injured runners and seen these sort of, I guess, patterns and then just being curious and just 
delved into one particular section and just, um, yeah, trying to help them the best way that I can, really. Yeah, no, well said, man. There was something you said earlier that I wanted to just touch base on where you were referring to some of the big stones that you like to try and look at before you move through the pebbles and the more minute details of someone's life. Like if if I come to you with an injury, what are, what are a couple of the big stones that you would start the conversation with? Big stones are definitely mileage and training intensity distribution. So making sure, okay, what is your overall volume like? And had that increased in the, the weeks leading up to your injury? Was it one particular run where you may have you know, been in a race and usually with races, people sort of underprepare themselves. If it's like a, a trail event or a marathon or an ultra, they sort of do their training to sort of get them by. Maybe there's a couple of niggles that hinder, hinder their true potential before that race, but then they race, they race really far. And they do it in the fastest time that they can possibly do it at. And so you're looking at mileage and also intensity that would probably bring someone unstuck. So that would be a big sort of proponent. What stage of your marathon training where you're at? Was that six weeks to go? And that was the particular really high volume sort of stage in their preparation. Um, so volume and intensity. So making sure, okay, what was your speed sessions like? Um, how fast were you doing? What were your easy days like? Were you start, were you just pushing the the pace a little bit more on your dedicated easy days? And then just getting a general sense of what their intensity distribution would be. Um, the next, I guess, rock underneath that would be terrain. So hills, mm. because we know that when you go up a hill, all of your propulsion, like your calf, your Achilles, your glutes, like everything that has to push you against gravity is working really hard. But then on the downhill, you're fighting gravity more than you would on the flats. So your ankle, your knee, your hip have to absorb so much more load when you're thudding down and, you know, gravity is really just pulling you down that hill. Um, so those are the big kind of things. They're the, the ones that we really want to look at. And then if there's nothing there, then we sort of investigate further with those smaller kind of pebbles. Yeah. Beautiful, man. Because uh, I touched on this earlier, but one of the most consistent experiences that I've had, and still I'm a little bit OCD at the best of times. I like to get things moving. And, and currently my, my big big goals aren't necessarily to do with how fast I'm running as much as it's to do with, you know, getting into the gym and trying to do workouts there. But even still, I noticed that attitude of like, all right, let's just get going. Let's just do as much as we can. It creeps in. I'm aware of it enough now to where I can go, hey, Tyson, calm down, mate. Like, yeah, it's your second time at the gym ever. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> you yeah. Can only only yeah. lift the really light weights. But universally, and it's something that I work with closely with the athletes that I coach, especially athletes who are newer and a little bit less familiar with these concepts is, hey, if, you, if you're going to start stepping out each day and trying to do some running, let's make sure that we're cautious with yeah, as you say, not only the intensity and the pace that we're running, but but how often we're running and how quickly we're increasing it. Because runners have this incredible ability of just trying to push themselves until they break. But I think um, uh, one of the most overlooked elements, as you say, of the recovery period is just that ability to go, all right, you know what? I'm going to actually put the feet up for today, or I'm going to really just back off the pace today. Or I'm not really, I, I find one of the most helpful things for me when I'm getting caught up in the mindset of, of, you know, trying to get caught up with pace 
is just switching off Strava or switching off my Garmin because I, often, I know how good it feels to get out on a run and just be cruising along and see that I'm ticking along at 4.15 pace per kilometre. Um, and then I can post that with the heart rate and go, hey, look at this. It was just an easy run. But then the flip side of that is a, a couple of times a week, I'll go out and I'll be running at 5.15 pace and my heart rate will be just the same and my legs feel horrific and i got a headwind and I just don't want to be there. And then I know that I'm going to have to go home and update this on Strava. The other day I went out for a run and I'd sort of strained my calf two weeks ago and I'd just been cautiously coming back. And I was so cautious that my first K was seven kilometers. Uh, it was seven minute seven K minutes. pace. <laughs> and uh, I got to the I got to the end of the run, and I saw I saw my average K pace for that run turned out to be about five fifty eight. And I thought, this one's not gone on Strava. <laughs> <laughs> so I can only imagine if a bloke who is as aware of that in myself, and as I said, I've been in the sport now for twenty years, working with athletes of of all different levels, is having that experience. The bloke or the girl who's brand new to the sport. That's probably a, a legitimate stress. Yeah. Yeah. It's requires a bit of self-reflection, I think. Like what are your motivations or what are your purposes and what are you using the the tool for? And that being like uploading and put posting onto Strava. Cause sometimes it can be really helpful. It can help people's mm. motivation levels, help consistency, accountability, all that sort of stuff. But you know, the, the type A personalities of runners, it's, it can sometimes have its detriment. It can sometimes allow you to push yourself too much because, you know, you're going to post it, you know, other people are going to see it. Um, and it's, you know, it's just that environment to overtrain essentially. And not only that, but people compare themselves to others. Not only do they think that they're going to post it and other people are going to look at it. So it needs to be a, a high performance, but you then look on Strava and see what other people are doing and sort of compare yourself to them. And, um, my sister had that, like I, I interviewed my sister on a podcast, uh, on my podcast last year talking about, um, I was telling her the benefits of running slow and how we need to follow this particular 80, 20 distribution, 80% really easy running, especially for her. Cause she was battling injuries, not really seeing an uptick in performance, just really not really enjoying her running, just sort of going through the motion. And when I sort of reflected, I'm like, I told you to start running slow. She's like, I can't go any slower because, you know, this is X, Y, Z. I'm like, well, how are you feeling when you run? Oh, my legs are burning. I'm out of breath. My heart's beating out of my chest. I'm like, well, just run slower. She's like, but I can't. It's so <laughs> slow already. And turns out that she's comparing her slow to everyone else's slow, which is too yeah. fast for her. Mm -hmm. And so as soon as she realized that, um, she started doing some walk runs, like keeping everything under control. And then, you know, especially on like warmer days, you could say, then she just backed off her pace considerably. Her legs were feeling fresher. She started getting more enjoyment out of it. But then when it came to her sessions where she was meant to be running faster, she could run faster because her legs felt fresher. And so um, I got her onto the podcast and she sort of shared her story. We titled it, Are You Really Running Slow Enough? And so many people reached out to me after that episode and said, I get it now. Like listening to your sister, listen to that story. That was me. I was comparing myself to others on Strava. I was like pushing myself on my easy, meant to be easy, slow days. And now I'm just like seeing the other side of it and, you know, reaping the rewards because you not only enjoy it more, but you start to increase your running performance as well. It, it really has a really profound um, change in someone's training philosophy. 
Yeah, that's a it's a really good point. And I laugh because uh, not my sister, but my wife, Jessie, she'll come out for a run with me. I'm not sure if I've told you this before, but I always tease her because whenever she, her and I go for a run together, the first kilometer, she's always like, babe, what are you doing? Like, let's let's actually run. And mm. I go, hey, just so you know, if you ran at this pace that I'm running at, you'd be able to run so much more comfortably for so much longer. But her issue is not so much that she doesn't believe that's true. She just gets so bored sometimes running. I don't think mm. she appreciates just being out there and enjoying that slow miles like I do. So, but, but to your point, I often say, I go, babe, Hey, like just, you'd be, she goes, I can only do two or three K. I go, no, no, what you could do 10, but just, <laughs> but yeah. just, just watch. So I always laugh that she gives me a hard time in the early part to that run. Cause I know over 10 K mate, I'll smoke it, <laughs> but on that easy run, it's just a concept she's <laughs> not interested in. But to your other point, And I, I also fell into this trap and trained with quite a few athletes who, who did is, um, when we were doing a track session or when we were doing a more difficult session, I had a great ability to replicate almost race speeds in a lot of my sessions. But a lot of the time, the people that I was smoking in a track session would be off the back, but then it would come to race day and the roles would reverse. And there was a couple of people who mm. once I learned that, um, you know, I had the the opposite experience with where I'd be like, all right, you know what? I don't need to necessarily go at a hundred percent tonight because that recovery factor that you mentioned it's so important. So if you can just do that consistently for a little while, it's it's really impressive how much that translates to a, a you know a fresher set of legs for tomorrow night's session. So I'm really glad you touched on that. It's interesting. It's a great topic that you did with your sister because I I know that there'd be a lot of people out there who would fall into that trap of thinking, oh man, like I'm just not fit or I'm just not fast. And that that comparison is a uh, is something I hadn't really thought too much about. But uh, it's cool. And you had quite a quite a big uh, quite a lot of people feedback. Or, or give you feedback saying they experienced that, huh? It was probably five to 10 times the amount of feedback that I usually get for a podcast episode. Mm. Like um, I do get every now and then, like on my Facebook groups and Instagram, that sort of stuff, people saying, yeah, that was a really good episode, but it just came out like so many people like, yep, that's me. Or yep, I get that. Yep. I learned so much or I've started doing that now. And I've, you know, this, these are the effects that I've had and, even to this day, like I still get some people like going through the archives and finding it and reaching out and saying that was that was a really good one. Yeah, awesome, man. Dude, before I let you go, I just wanted to find out, obviously you've had your hands full for the last 12 months, so I'm not expecting uh, anything too crazy if you don't have it. But I was just I was just keen to hear what you've been learning about lately that's been interesting. What sort of captivated your attention at the moment? Mm, well, I think it has been more on pain science and mindset and I've had a little mini series of the podcast uh, last month about mindfulness and actually had one of my clients on to the podcast to talk about she had five years of plantar fasciitis, really struggling for a long time, learnt about pain science, learnt about mindfulness, and straight away, like in a week, she had the best like recovery that she's had in years. And only because she's just like learnt more about the mind, learnt about more about her attitude and that sort of stuff. So it's really taken me into a, a another interest, which is, okay, how can we explore this? How can we create sort of interventions with these people? Not everyone, because pain's so complex that it might just be purely mechanical for some people. If you've had Achilles pain for two weeks, we're going to take it totally different to someone who's had Achilles pain for two years. Mm. But it's, it's really interesting. I'm really... Um, interested in you know seeing how my clients go applying these sort of strategies to the right person and 
want, wanting to learn more about it um, and finding really good resources for clients. Um, that's sort of where my passion is. And it's actually probably in a, a couple of years, probably going to lead to another book of mine that I'll probably write about what runners need to know about pain because it's such a big passion of mine. I'm seeing to help helping a lot of runners. Yeah. Awesome, man. Awesome. Really good. Well, once again, Hey, great to catch up with you. Congratulations on the book. I'm I'm excited for you. For for the uh the audience members who are keen to grab themselves a copy. Is it out yet? Is it public? Is it I know you Definitely said you're is. working on uh on the audible version at the moment, which is my approach to books. But uh yep. for those who like the hard covers, where do they uh, where do they find those? So um if you search run smarter, uh it will be on Amazon. Um I've just approved the book to um what's what they call Ingram Spark and that like increases the distribution to other like Booktopia and like other, I guess, um, online websites. The audio book should be out in probably about two weeks. I'm just editing at the moment, which is extremely time consuming. Um, so yeah, you can check that out. You can also check out, I've just launched a YouTube channel as well, Run Smarter with Brody Sharp. Nice, they can, man. if they're wanting something a bit more visual, then um, yeah, you can check that out as well. Awesome, brother. Hey, Thanks again for coming on. That was fun. Always a pleasure. We're right back at you, man. We'll do it again soon. I'll see you later. See everybody. See ya. Thanks for listening to the Relaxed Running Podcast. If you're ready to become a faster, more efficient runner, visit www.relaxedrunning.com.